Welcome to episode 44 of Dealer Process Secrets. I'm your host, Philip Cheatham. I'm here with my co-host, Sterling Brown and Brian Steele. What's happening, guys? What's going on, Phil? Not much. Thanks, so, so today, uh, what's up, Brian? So today I want to talk about, instead of always be closing, I know we all know that one, ABC, I want to talk about ABL, which is always be learning. Uh, first and foremost on the always be closing, I actually think that we learn way too many closes across all the departments and we use way too many closes uh, and we use them at the wrong times. So maybe that's a, a topic for another show because I specifically want to talk today about learning and you know, kind of what happens where we uh, we get in this place where we become kind of stagnant thinking we know everything uh, can happen very easily if you've worked at a few amount of dealerships. And especially if you've been, for me, my experience was just being number one in the finance department after being promoted to a finance manager after two months. And I was number one in that department for years, uh, sat next to six, seven other finance managers. And, you know, I was just crushing it. So anytime you tried to teach me something or tell me something. I was in my early 20s. I just thought that I knew it all. And uh, I got humbled. And I've talked about this before. I, I moved to California, ended up in a finance department with uh, without a director that was helping me as much as the directors had helped me back at the, uh, at the store that I was at for almost 10 years. And I decided I really needed to learn and see what was in everybody else's toolbox. And this will also also go into another point of the conversation that I do want to highlight, which is going to be about even if you're at 99%, 100%. And what's funny is the guys that are really up there, the guys that really can't get much better, that's all they're trying to do is get better all the time. And you can relate this to professional sports. You've got the Michael Jordans, the Kobe's. Uh, those types of guys, uh, they're obviously at the top, the upper echelon of what they do and or what Kobe did. And um, they were always trying to get 0.00001% better. Tim Grover writes about it in both of his books. And I see that it, it repeats itself in our business. Um, the the dealerships that are doing just phenomenally excellent, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game across the board and everything truly, uh, you know, not, Hey, I'm in the top 10%. Hey, I'm in the top 5%. I'm good. Uh, we don't need to learn anything, but the, the dealerships that are, you know, truly in the top 99 percentile that are killing it across the board. I mean, they want to get point zero 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 one percent better if they have the opportunity and that goes down to sales guys that goes down to sales managers that goes down to general sales managers definitely in the finance department and it's just crucial in my opinion to always be learning and we have this we have this human um you know innate to compete especially in our business and it's also this idea where, you know, if you show me something I didn't know, uh, I feel like I was supposed to know that because I look at myself like I'm a top tier professional and it, getting away from that is probably the best thing you can do, uh, discussing this subject right here, because I, 
I don't care where my information came from. I don't care if it came from a porter. I don't care if it came from somebody not even inside the car business. I don't care if it came from somebody I actually don't like. There's not a lot of people I don't like, but uh, say I didn't like you and, and I learned something new. I'm happy that that got in front of me. And there was a reason that got in front of me. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say, hey, man, <laughs> I didn't know that before. Uh, if I'm actually doing trainings and, you know, you have a clothes that I like that I've never heard before. Uh, and I've heard this before while I'm doing trainings from this, which is, oh, wow, I thought we were paying you because I'm like, hey, I'm stealing that. <laughs> right. And, and I'll tell you that if you, if you tell me something that I like that I've never heard before, never seen before, um, happened to me recently with a question on an, on an interview sheet for, uh, Harley and, you know, inside a Harley dealership, I've got a interview that's just incredible. It's, it's intrinsic. I mean, it goes down to the, or intricate is the word. It goes down to the minor details of, you know, the interview. And there was a new question on one of them. I'm changing the interview up and I'm like, you know what? I actually like that. And it's not on mine. So I added, you know, four or five questions, uh, changed the verbiage of some questions. And then I kept a question on there that uh, I had never seen before or used, but I love what it was trying to do. So, but I, that's just the way I am. That's just the, the, my personality. I, I wasn't always that way. Uh, I became that way when I realized that I needed to learn from everybody because every single human being on this planet knows something that I don't. Uh, and when you're trying to operate or you are operating on that 99th percentile, that 100th percentile, uh, you fiend for that stuff because the way you get to the 99th percentile is by being that way in the first place. It's by wanting to learn from absolutely everybody. Uh, going back to Tim Grover, Kobe hired Tim Grover because Tim Grover was Michael Jordan's trainer. And Michael Jordan was would have never let, he literally used to tell Tim Grover, I don't pay you to train me. I pay you not to train anybody else. But once Michael Jordan was out of the game, he recommended Tim Grover to Kobe and Kobe was all in on it because obviously Kobe wanted to work with the trainer that worked with Michael Jordan. And what Kobe would spend a ton of time doing, Tim Grover talks about this in his books, is asking about Michael Jordan. And these are two guys that are, you know, pretty, you know, the basketball fans out there, I don't want to call them similar uh, in there because then it gets confusing. Like, oh, no, he's different this way and this way. I know they're totally different players or totally different people. They're similar in the aspect that they're competing in the top percentile, maybe the top 0.1 percentile. And guys like that always want to learn from everybody. If there's something you know, it doesn't matter who you are that they didn't know. Like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for teaching me that. Um, so this concept of always be learning, I think is more important than always be closing. Maybe we can do a show on the always be closing because I'm kind of against that. I think uh, all of us in the industry, we've got so many closes depending on your brand, depending on, I mean, just the person you're speaking with, uh, the products that you're selling, be it in finance. Um, I mean, there's so many closes, the product you're selling on the car versus another car. We know so many of them. And I think that we're you know, from the second we meet with a customer, we want to make a sale. So we're just dropping clothes bombs all over the place. I see it on the showroom floor. I see it when we're closing deals and I see it 
uh, in the finance office as well. And it's like, oh, okay, well, if I'm closing a deal, shouldn't I be dropping closes everywhere? Well, my favorite thing to do, and I think that the best processes, I know that the best processes do this. Uh, and when you've got everything set up, you know, when this, when this happens, we do that. When this happens, we do that. And you know what you're going for. You know what you're looking for. Uh, I think that you want to tee up the deal as much as possible. And the close should feel like a putt into the hole. You know, it should be every, every deal can be like a par three and you put that ball, you know, two feet from the hole and you just kind of tap it in, or you put it one foot from the hole and you just kind of tap it in. And that's where I think closes are best utilized rather than just dropping closes on people nonstop. And you can put yourself in the customer shoes when you're going out and looking at products and things like that, or uh, you're shopping and do people, you know, are they, are they trying to close you all over the place and, and, you know, close you right now and just drop all these different closes on you? Or do they, you know, tee it up well, which is they, they let you try it on. They tell you it looks good. They, you know, they show it to you. They, you know, it's, it's like a soft sell because I'm doing everything I could possibly do for you. And then I'm dropping one close like, Hey, are we ready? You know, I mean, your clothes can also be so soft when you do that right. But that's a that's a whole nother show for a different day. So always be learning. What do you guys think about everything that I just kind of laid out there for you? Whoever wants to go first. I like the um, <clears throat> phrase learning because it replaces another L word because everything's viewed in wins or losses. So if you view things in winning or learning, you're not going to come out on the short end of the stick. So, um, you know, you go out, yeah, you go out there and you drop some closes. Um, it doesn't go the way you want. Um, if you, if you take away a sense of defeat from that interaction, then you didn't really benefit. But if you take away a sense of learning, then you have the opportunity of, uh, benefiting, uh, on your, on your very next transaction. So I love it. I like it a lot. Well, and it's, it, to, talk there because you hit on the point of make a deal meetings and uh and some other meetings there you know if if i'm with a customer and and uh it it goes wrong and i'm trying to learn from that situation it's difficult to do that by yourself uh you need to uh toss it against other people's ears and i think this happens organically in a lot of dealerships where you know, you had something that was frustrating. You go to one or two guys, maybe that you trust and you feel like you can run it across that, that you feel have some knowledge that they may be able to help you with it. Uh, you may get far, you may not, but that's another, uh, that's another really close on the make a deal meeting right there, which is in the morning, uh, looking at your step fives that didn't happen, you know, sitting down, talking to each other and talking about the deals that you didn't make the day before, I think is where the best, uh, that, you know, what exactly what you're talking about is actually done because all five of your closers or, you know, all 10 of your sales guys, they may not all talk to each other regularly. So you kind of force it with that meeting. Hey, Sterling, what happened with Mrs. Wilson yesterday? Why didn't she buy? Oh, this is what happened. And then maybe even the guys you wouldn't go and talk to and ask for advice, give you some good advice in that meeting. That's what the make a deal meeting is absolutely all about. That's 100% it. Uh, and it's working with actual things 
things that just happened. Uh, that's another thing I've talked about it quite a bit that I think is just kind of fake and doesn't work that well is all this role playing. Like I'm going to pretend to be the customer and make up some objection off the top of my head. Me, when I'm doing that, I tend to want to make up something funny. Uh, it's hard to be realistic. It's hard to just like come up with something that's going to be said. So the best thing to do is that make a deal meeting where you're actually saying, you know, Hey, Sterling, what happened with Mrs. Wilson yesterday? And you're going to actually tell me what she said. And then we can all kind of, uh, uh, come together and, and start, you know, you can start picking people's brains that, that give you advice here and there and say, Hey, I would have said that. Or even the one that I love is, Oh, I dealt with that lady before. And this is how uh, we sold her a car. That'll come up in the make a deal meeting too. So awesome. Brian, you got anything? No, I, I, uh, I like everything that you guys are saying and I loved what Sterling said. You know, I don't know if I've even ever heard that before, but that's really smart. Like, um, you know, I always say that people that don't make mistakes don't make anything. And, you know, to look at it, like you're either winning or learning, I think is, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with you that too many people are closing more than they should. Um, anytime you're closing, you start using that language. I think, you know, I was taught, I was always taught that you're hitting the the amygdala in your brain. Amygdala, yeah. yeah. Amygdala, which is your fight or flight or freeze response, which you're sending them into like kind of a panic mode. And that's just not a good place to be. Like, I think if you present the information the way it should be presented, they're going to, you know, that's 90% of the work the little clothes here and there might, you know, push people over the edge when you've already, you know, done a very good presentation. Well, even the master closers that aren't the, you know, master tee uppers, right. Uh, A certain amount of time goes by and they learn to drop those closes less and they learn to drop them at the right times. But I mean, we've known this in our business for before I was born when they had the old line system and essentially the entire idea of it was to land the person on the product test drive them in the product, get them loving the product, and then sit them down at the table and stick them to the ceiling with the numbers. And that's tried and true. It makes a ton of sense. It applies to every other uh, business out there selling high ticket items. It could be art. It could be watches. Uh, You know, you don't just, you know, that's, oh, that watch is 32 grand. Uh, You know, no one's going to buy a watch like that. You know, unless they've already done all the research, they know exactly what they want. Um, the way to sell a $32,000 watch is going to have to do with a lot of emotion. You need to slow it way down. You need to demo. Uh, you need to fact find and you need to, you know, let them demo, right? Try it out, look at it uh, and those kinds of things. And, and you know, the more you tee that up properly, the more you kind of just put it into the hole with a little tap close. And that's where your closes should be utilized. But back to what Sterling said about you either win or you learn. Uh, I saw a meme man yesterday that was similar to that, where it said winners are just losers that tried one more time. And that's the, you know, that's the same, that's the same deal. And we could go into our culture where I think there's a lot of quitting going on pretty much uh, everywhere. It's like, yeah, this doesn't work out. You know, I just quit and try something else, try something else, try something else, try something else. And if you look at people 
that succeed and you actually want to study it because we're never going to know, you know, to the extent of what somebody else went through. This is a, another little piece there where, uh, you know, your, your wife, your mom, your dad, your husband, your mom, your dad, those are going to be the closest people to knowing what you've gone through in your life. And they still won't know exactly what it was like to be you, uh, and what you've gone through. And that's, uh, that, that could open up a whole other, uh, box and can of worms, uh, as my original trainer used to love to say, don't open a can of worms. Uh, but, uh, the first guy that ever trained me in, in, in car sales. Um, but, uh, uh, that, you know, it, it's, uh, the quitting and the trying again and the learning, you know, everything is an opportunity to learn. And I think what we learn in life is that, in the hard times, the plan is always greater than what we've even expected. And we go through all those hard times and all those difficult learning experiences for a reason. Uh, so understanding that it's, it's something I think we should all crave getting back to the original point, which is, you know, the, the top upper, upper echelon people are looking for new information. They're looking to learn more and more and more, even if it just makes them that tiny bit better, you know, cause once you're at, the, once you're in the 1% or you're in the 0.1%, it's difficult to get better. So, I mean, you have to have that thirst and that hunger, but my argument's going to be the reason that the guys in the top 1% or the top 1.1% have that thirst and have that hunger is because they had that when they were at 70%. They had that when they were at 60%. Uh, they had that thirst and that hunger to learn from everybody, to learn more constantly uh, instead of ever just getting to that place where you think you're you're so good uh, that there's nothing left for you to learn. And most people with that attitude are actually probably in the 50th or 60th percentile. Uh, the ones that think, you know, me in my, in my twenties, I was just in a dealership where I was fast. That was respected. Uh, people, you know, I, I did a good job everywhere else. Uh, maybe except maybe my paperwork, I won't lie. I got that I got that better <laughs> later in my career too, in the finance office. But, um, I was good at what I did as far as handling the customer. I uh, still got a bad survey every once in a while too. Uh, but I was stuck in the place thinking that nobody else could beat me. So there was nothing I needed to learn from anybody else. And if you have that attitude, you're probably in the 50th or 60th, 60th percentile. You probably have a long way to go. Uh, it's the guys that are in the one percentile and point one percentile. They've had that attitude for a long time, which is, you know, I can learn from everybody. I'm constantly looking for things to learn. So, I mean, we can get into books, podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have exactly what I'm talking about. So this is just solidifies uh, pretty much you know, what, what we wanted to talk about, but, uh, you guys got anything else on this? Always be learning. Yeah. My closing thoughts are just to reiterate some of the talking points. Cause I think this was a great conversation. Um, I brought up and I actually brought it up from a previous conversation we had. So I don't know if we ever said it specifically, but you're either winning or you're learning. And I love what you said, Phil, the difference between a winner and a loser is a winner is just a loser who tried one more time. And that's how I want to end it. That was awesome. Thank you, man. I'll let you and Brian say some things if you got anything. I was, I, you know, I was going to say, like, when I got into the business, one of the first things that someone told me was like, hey, the hard way is the easy way, which, you know, I interpreted it yeah. as like, don't 
don't try to learn the tricks of the business, learn the business. And that is the trick. That is the thing that's going to make it easier for you is to like, just really learn the business, continue to be a student of the business. Measure twice, cut once, right? Right. And to Sterling's point, that great meme we've all seen, I hope, about Jordan, you know, it's like, oh, I missed this many shots. I lost this many games and blah, 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 blah. And then it's, you know, got kicked off my, uh, what was it, his uh, college freshman basketball team or something. And it goes on and on and on. And then it signs it, Michael Jordan. And you're just like, whoa. And to to that point, uh, when you this is another thing you can do is if you look at anybody that you think is somebody you look up to successful, whatever you want to call it, uh, that person most likely has failed way more than, than you have. Uh, and that's, it, it really is that it's like the more you fail, the more you're going to win, the more times you're going to lose, the more times you're going to win. <clears throat> and that goes back to it being a numbers game, right? Like, taking as many ups as you can. Uh, but in the finance department, for example, I mean, your most pay plans these days, I think judge you on that average on that, um, per copy average somewhere in there. I actually think they should. I hated it when they first sprung that on me. My first few years, I was just getting paid on total gross. Uh, but when that was first sprung on me, it made, you know, it makes the job more difficult. Each, each deal can actually hurt you. Uh, so in that aspect, it's like seeking knowledge, learning, getting better, uh, having your process better is what that really boils down to. For me, back to that tee up thing, and maybe we will do a, uh, a show next on um, why you shouldn't always be closing. <laughs> uh, I love to take punches at, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the knowledge out there and only when it really, when it really bugs me, I, I don't like to just challenge things that are there that are out there, but that I just think is silly. to always, always be closing. I think that comes from, uh, uh, that movie obviously, which was great and it was funny. Uh, but it, it's not, it's not reality. I mean, you want to tune up that process. You want to make it so that, that, that ball lands right on the green and you just, kind of tap it in. And I think that's what you want to do from the beginning of the sale. And that's what you also want to make sure your process does on the back end in the finance office as well. So great, great conversation, man. Thank you, Sterling. Thank you, Brian. Uh, This was episode 44 of Dealer Process Secrets, and we'll see y'all next time. Have a great night. Thank you guys.